The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good to see everyone this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And uh, we haven't, I haven't uh, spoken for a few weeks, so uh, I'm going to bring us, catch us up just a little bit. We've been uh, discussing uh, discipleship in our Christian life series. And uh, so first of all, we... We, we described discipleship, and what did we say? Can anyone remember what we said discipleship, being a disciple means? Anybody remember? A learner, yes. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who submits themselves to the teaching of another. So uh, we are all disciples of Christ. And uh, so that means we submit ourselves we submit our life to the teachings of Christ. And where do we find the teachings of Christ? In the Bible, in God's holy word. And, uh, of course, even there we have to be careful because there are many varieties of Bibles and we have to make sure that we are using a Bible that, that um, is true to the inspired scriptures. Uh, so we have to be careful. Uh, it's easy to, to grab a, a Bible... A, that, that does not truly um, translate God's word, and so we have to be cautious with that. But we submit ourselves to the teachings of Christ. Now, everyone fancies themselves a disciple, but not all men are not all men are disciples of Christ. Not all believers, not all believers can truly claim to be a disciple of Christ, because. To be a disciple means that we are disciplined in our life and that we adhere to the doctrines of Jesus Christ. I know, I know believers who, who do not adhere to the doctrines of Christ and they claim to be a disciple. Well, first of all, if, if we don't adhere to the, to the doctrines of Christ, it's very questionable that we're even a believer. But, Certainly, if we are a believer and we do not adhere to the doctrines of Christ, we cannot claim to be a disciple. We can't claim that and make that claim. So, we began looking at what is, what, what is required in disciples. Uh, firstly, I said that a disciple, discipleship requires commitment. Commitment, which means putting God first. God should be the priority in our life. Amen? Everything we do, everything we do, <laughs> should begin with God, and he should be right in the center. Um, when I got saved 37 years ago, uh, I didn't, I don't, I don't wake up on Sunday morning and decide, am I going to go to church today? I, I, I don't do that. There is no question. There is nothing else. If I'm not here, I'm, it's because I'm physically unable to get out of my house and come here. Because for a disciple, God is first. Amen? 
And that means on Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, we honor him with our presence in his house. We, we, uh, we honor the admonition of Hebrews, and we do not forsake ourselves of the assembly of God. Um, if we want a vacation, do it Monday through Saturday. Be in church on Sunday. So that's important. Commitment is required in a disciple. Priority is God. Everything in our life uh, centers around God. We don't fit God into our life. We, we add our life around God. Uh, secondly, we said that a discipleship requires conformity. Conformity to Jesus' teachings. A disciple is not one who manipulates the word of God so that they can do what they want to do. <clears throat> a disciple conforms to the word of God. In other words, when I first got saved, there were a lot of things in my life I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing. And not necessarily bad things, just things I shouldn't have been doing. And as I began to hear preaching, and as I heard teaching, and I realized these things are, are, I shouldn't be doing, I conformed to God's word and not to my own opinions. Everybody, some people will say, well, that's your opinion. I say, no, that's God's opinion. And we're to conform to God's expectations. So then, and then thirdly, uh, last time we met, we said that discipleship requires conduct. And conduct being a fruitful life. And a fruitful life is one that, that projects and manifests God in its, in its presence. Uh, we, we live our lives in submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit, in submission to the Word of God. And all of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit are manifested in our life. So today I want to continue. <clears throat> oh, you moved the clock. Today I want to continue with the next part. It's like, uh, where's Waldo? You know, I come in here, where's the clock? Got to locate the clock. Today, number four, we're going to talk about compassion. And compassion, I mean a love for the brethren. <clears throat> now, I specify the brethren because we're, to, we're commanded to love all men, but we're specifically commanded by Jesus to love one another. So a disciple, a true disciple, has compassion for his brethren, for the, for the believers in Christ. Uh, you should be in John chapter 13. Look at verse 34 with me. We read here, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now look at verse 35. By this, by what? By your love for the brethren. By this shall all men know that ye are my, what's that next word? Disciples. If ye have love one to another. Let's pray before we, we go any further. Father, thank you for your word and the opportunity we have today to study your word. Just bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we speak of compassion, most Christians are quick to turn to this passage. Most without even realizing the context of the passage from which they are going. Before the Lord told his disciples to love one another, he first demonstrated this by his own actions. He filled the role of a servant 
to each of them. Now, consider for a moment this morning the possible ways to express love. Um, love can be expressed by words. It's not difficult to say, I love you. Let's try that right now. Everybody, just look at the person next to you and say, I love you. That's easy to do, right? Men are amazing creatures. There's no, listen, listen to what I'm about to say. There's no limit to our hypocrisy. Do you hear me? There's no limit to the hypocrisy of man. Have you ever smiled and greeted someone that you don't like at all? Huh? How you doing? Yeah. Oh, great. How you, how's your family? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Hey, I got to run. See you later, okay? Man, I hate that guy. Huh? Don't look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because you know, I, you, I know you know what I'm talking about. Because we've all done it. There's no limit to the hypocrisy of man. So before you go around saying people are hypocrites, you better, you better stop and take a good hard look at yourself. Because you and I are hypocrites. Now, that's not the best way to start a message. But it's the truth. And the sooner we accept and face that, the sooner we can, we can begin to work on fixing that. It's easy to say, I love you. Over the years, I've, I have seen and heard Christians say to one another, I love you, brother. Yet they bite and devour one another without any remorse and without any conscience. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but, love, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. I, uh, I've told teenagers over the years in the past, be careful out there because Christians are cannibals. They will devour you and chew you up and spit you up. Now that's not the greatest thing to have to say, but it's the truth. Paul said we bite and devour one another. Now I want to be careful here because I don't want to get off into preaching. I'm here to teach. So let's, let's, I'll be careful. But this is the context of our study. In verse 13 of John chapter 13, Jesus said, but by love serve one another. As we read earlier, Jesus demonstrated his love for his disciples by fulfilling the role of a servant unto them. Now, this is the second way in which we can, love can be expressed. And it is the basis of my challenge to you this morning. Jesus stated that men will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. The easy challenge here is to simply say, love each other and leave it at that. And, and that is the philosophy of the world, uh, giving lip service to our expressions of love. 
But this morning, I want to challenge you to not just say that you love your brother. I want to challenge you to prove that you love your brother in Christ. Now, notice the words of Christ with me in John chapter 13 and verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. This is referring to the road that Christ alone must travel. The road to the cross. So if Christ has commanded us to love him as he has loved us, yet we cannot love as he has loved, then how do we fulfill his command to love one another as he has loved us? He said, he said whether I go, you cannot come. Where, did, where was he going? He was going to the cross to, to, to make the ultimate sacrifice of love to the Father's will and on behalf of we, his children. He said, you can't go there. Whether I go, you cannot follow. So you and I cannot love fully the way Christ loved. Yet he's commanded us to love one another as he has loved us. So how do we fulfill this? We fulfill this by willingly serving one another in the spirit of love. Now, with the time that I have uh, this morning, I want to examine the heart of a willing Servant. That's what we're to be. We're to be willing servants to the Lord, and we're to be willing servants to one another. You know, the Bible commands us to do good unto all men, as, as it is within our ability to do, right? And especially who? Those of the house of faith. So we're, we're to be willing to serve, to sacrifice, to do whatever is within our power and ability to do for everyone, but especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ. How often do you look around you in this church? How often do you take a look at the people that are here and see if there's anything you can do to be a blessing to them. You know, I taught for, in school for 17 years. And some days, children who were normally very well behaved and very well adjusted would come to school and would just be a little snot. And the teacher would say, I don't know what's wrong with them. And you know, I would tell them this. You know, children... We, we, we tend to forget that children have emotions too. Maybe, maybe that child got up in the morning and mom and daddy had a fight. And maybe it upset them. And they're hurting inside and they're afraid and they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. But they have to come to school. They don't have an option. And they come here and they're aggravated and they're, they're worried and they're afraid and they're scared. And... So when I, would, when I would notice a child who wasn't behaving like, like normal, I would go to them, put my hand on their shoulder, and say, you okay today? And most of the time, that child would say no. 
And I just listened to them and let them talk to me. And I tried the best I could to help them. And that's what we're to do to one another. You know, when I, when I come to church on Sunday morning, if I see one of you that looks a little odd, well, that's, no, most of you look odd. But anyway, if I see one of you that look a little out of sorts, sometimes you might, you might see me come over to you and say, hey, how you doing today? You doing all right? I'm praying for you. Can I do anything to help you? And, and be an encouragement and be a blessing. Problem is, we have our own problems, right? We come to church and we have our own worries and we have our own fears and we have our own griefs. So how do we overcome that? Well, let's see, if I remember right, Jesus said, said to lay my burdens at his feet and take his burdens upon myself. You know, I commute to work every day, back and forth, and I've been downloading some sermons on worry and fear lately and listening to it. And, and oh, it's such a blessing to, to hear the inspiration from God's word concerning those things. We have nothing to be fearful of this morning. We have nothing to worry about as God's children. We are sa- I think back to when I was a little child. I didn't wake up in the morning and go sit at the kitchen table and put my heads in my hands. And say, Daddy, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? What are we going to do for food? Did any of you do that when you were a child? Raise your hand if you did. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do that? Because you trusted your father to provide. Then we grow up and all of a sudden we don't think our father can provide. (laughs) Kind of, uh, again, that hypocritical kind of stuff. But there are attributes to a willing servant that we need to have if we are going to fulfill our command by Christ to love one another. First of all, letter A, this. A willing servant is content. A willing servant is content. Now, I'm not talking about someone who's forced into service. I'm not talking about a slave. Although there are examples in the scripture of men who were forced into slavery yet being content. Daniel, Joseph. These are great examples of men who were thrust into into slavery yet maintained a, a spirit of content. But I'm not talking this morning about, about being pressed into service because a disciple is not one who is, who is a slave. He's not forced into, ser- into service. He willingly serves. And a willing servant is content. And an example of that, this example of this is Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, where it says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus himself uh, was content to serve. Jesus was indeed man, but he was entirely God. However, he was content to be in the form of a man and was content to take upon himself all that went along with that. Contentment is absolutely necessary if you or I will ever succeed in having the mind of Christ. We're never going to think like Christ if we do not have contentment. It is absolutely necessary 
if we will ever succeed in truly loving one another. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you hear that? Godliness with contentment. Now, in the verses just preceding that, Paul was saying that men say, assume that gain is godliness. But Paul says, I'm telling you that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, he says, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We're not taking anything with us. All these things we are striving to amass and gather together and and have, those things that are so dear and precious to us, we're not taking them with us. There are some things we can take with us, though. There are some things we can take with us, our family. Uh, uh, You know, probably, aside from my wife, the most precious things to me in this life are my children and my grandchildren. All that I do, all that I do, humanly speaking, I do for my family. Now, I can't take my family with me. I can't, at death, I can't wrap my arms around them and they'll be translated with me. But I can either send them on ahead or I can help them prepare the way that they can join me later. But we're not carrying any material thing in this life out with us. So we need to learn to be content and happy with what we have and quit striving for more. Jealousy and greed are at the root of every war ever fought. Did you hear me? Well, we can add a third thing to that because religion is probably the primary reason for most wars. But jealousy and greed are at the root of every war fought. They are the bane of every failed marriage. Every broken heart, every bitter child, discontentment is the ruin of any people. Conversely, contentment is at the core of everyone who succeeds. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, I'm like Paul. I can be content in every state except Texas. I can't be content in Texas. No, I'm joking. I like Texas. My brother lives in Texas. He says, I know both how to be, how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul had, he was content. He needed nothing more, and he, he, he coveted nothing less. Paul was content right where he was. Whether, whether he was hungry, whether he was full, whether he was cold, whether he was comfortable, whether he was in peril, whether he was in safety, mattered not to Paul. He was content. And a willing servant is content, and he's content to serve. But not only is a willing servant um, content, let me give you some attributes of their contentment. First of all, a willing servant uh, does not need to be recognized. 
I think these are on your study sheet. They do not need to be recognized. John chapter 3, we read, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, uh, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And of course, this is John the Baptist. And John did not need to be recognized. He did not need the praise of men. He did not need the adoration of men. John was content to be the forerunner of Christ. And he was content to see Christ receive the glory and the honor. John needed no recognition. But a second attribute of a willing servant is they do not need to be rewarded. They do not need to be rewarded. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Listen, their reward is to know that they have pleased their master. A willing servant doesn't need to be rewarded. His reward is, is to know that he pleased the master, that he pleased his Lord. They are content to serve and bring glory to their master. And to serve one, our master and to prove our love, we must serve one another in love. This is how we, this is how we serve God. Christ told us to, to love one another. And we serve God when we serve one another. People have a, you know, people have a misconception of what it means to serve God. They think, well, I, I, I can't serve God. I, I, I'm not in the ministry. What? Listen, you can serve the Lord sitting in that pew as well as the pastor can behind the pulpit preaching. We're all servants of Christ. We're all to, to serve the Lord, and we, we do that in, in many ways. But one of those ways we do that is by serving one another, by loving one another. So a, a servant doesn't need to be rewarded. You know, I've, I've known people that have come in this church and done things and got upset and left because they didn't get recognized and because they didn't get a reward for it. Well, who were you serving? Were you serving God? Were you serving your fellow Christian? Or were you serving your own pride and arrogance? Be content. So a willing servant is content. But then secondly, letter B, a willing servant is humble. A willing servant is humble. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, referring to Christ again. And being found in fashion as a man... He humbled himself. Now, I've, I've preached an entire message on this passage of Scripture. Humility is not self-abasement, and it is not self-inflicted degradation. In the context used, it simply is the acceptance of one's purpose. Christ, though he was God, accepted his role as man and accepted the task given him by the Father. He humbled himself. He, he assumed upon himself the purpose of God. He accepted that he must lay aside his deity and must suffer the humiliation and the agony of the cross. This he willingly accepted. And the Bible states he accepted it with joy. 
In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we read, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said that the Bible says that the joy, the cross was a joy to Christ. Why? Because it was, it was his fulfillment of God's purpose for his life. And you know, sometimes uh, if we're going to uh, serve the Lord, then, then we must accept the responsibilities as a servant and, and, and place the desires of uh, the master above our own. Listen, as servants of, of Christ, sometimes we have to lay aside our desires. Sometimes we have to lay aside our goals. I had goals. Listen, before I got saved, I had goals. Um, I was a college-trained architectural engineer, and I had designed a ranch home for my wife and myself. I had, I, I, my father still has the blueprints in his house. I was going to own horses. I was going to have a big ranch home. I was going to be a successful um, building contractor. I had goals. I had aspirations. I had, I had dreams. And then all of a sudden, one day someone witnessed to me. And I went home and I opened the Bible and started reading it. And the Holy Spirit regenerated me. And, and God saved my wretched soul. And from that moment on, I knew that I could do nothing better with my life than to live it according to God's purpose. I didn't understand what that meant when I was a newborn Christian, but I, 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 I decided that's what I was going to do with my life. So where I am today is a far cry from where I wanted to be. But I had to, I had to humble myself. I had to lay aside my goals and my aspirations so that I could fulfill the purpose of God in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what you have to do. That's what we have to do if we're going to be disciples. Someone might say, but for me to do that, I'd have to do... Then do it. Whatever you have to do to fulfill God's purpose for your life, whatever it is you have to give up, whatever you have to do, just do it. And submit to the Lord. A willing servant is one that accepts his responsibilities as a servant and places the desires of his master above his own. I must hurry. He humbles himself, puts aside his own wishes, and places a greater importance on the desires of his master. And in this matter of love for one another, it is the will of our Father that we put each other ahead of ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I cannot go where Christ has gone to the cross, but I can love you as he taught me to love you. I can seek to be a blessing and a help to you, and in doing so, fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So a willing servant is content, a willing servant is humble, then thirdly, a willing servant is obedient. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, 
referring to Christ again. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, by going to the cross, gave us the greatest example of love anyone will ever see. So often I have heard that it wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for me that held him there. Although, However, though he loved me, listen to me carefully, though he loved me, it was not his love for me that held him to the cross. It was his love for the Father that held him there. It was his love for, the, for fulfilling the will of the Father. Jesus willingly died to fulfill the Father's will. What are we willing to do to fulfill the will of God in our lives? Now, I don't want to say Jesus didn't love us because he does. But don't you put yourself ahead of God. The love that held him on the cross was his love for the Father and for his will. He endured the unendurable. He he suffered the unsufferable. He did the unthinkable. And he didn't do that for a sinful man, for no flesh is worthy of this. He did all of this for the glory of God. He did all of this in obedience to his Father. My salvation. My redemption was not the first thing on his mind. The will of the Father. This is what compelled him. It is men who overvalue their own importance and self-worth that have devised the theology that Jesus was driven to the cross by his love for me. It is the Father, not me, that is the object of Jesus' love. Now don't get me wrong, Christ loves me with undying love, but it is his love for the Father that compelled his obedience to the will of God. And if I try to live a life of love for the brethren based solely upon my feelings for you, I will fail. It is my love for the Father that compels me to love you today. It is my love for the Father that causes me to obey God and love you as I should and as I must. Even when I don't want to. Even when I don't feel like it. I love you today. Anyone who's ever taught kids know this. Some kids are just, they're just unlovable. I mean, you try. You pray, Lord, help me love that kid. And then the minute that kid runs through the door, your skin crawls. You know what I'm talking about. Especially you who teach, you know what I'm talking about. But you have to love them. And even when I don't want to love you, even when I don't feel like loving you, even when I want to have a pity party, and even when I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to take care of myself only, it's my love for, for God that causes me to love you. Because I remember how much love he has for me. And he's asked me to love you. And I must obey. The willing servant is content. Content to serve his master. The willing servant is humble. He accepts the desires of his master. And then the willing servant is obedient. He obeys his master. Give yourself a grade on today's lesson. 
Are you, are you, you claim to be a disciple? How are you doing in the area of compassion? Hmm? That's, that's a disciple is one who loves the brethren. All right, folks, that's all I have time for. I'm going to go ahead and close. Thank you for being here today, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.